Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Nancy and I are discussing a paper that is titled Increased Rider Weight Did Not Induce Changes in Behaviour and Physiological Parameters in Horses. And this is by Jay Christensen et al. And this paper um, basically wanted to see if the weight of the rider was going to have an impact on horse welfare, health and performance. So in a simple summary that the paper provides, they say that they measured the effects of increasing the weight of the rider by 15% and 25% of the horse's body weight. And they wanted to see if that had an effect on behavior, gait symmetry and physiological responses in a standard dressage test. They did find that cortisol levels increased in response to exercise. So that's our stress hormone. But they found no effect of the weight having any increase on the cortisol. So when exercise came into play, we've got that cortisol increase. But as the rider became heavier, there was no change. Behavior, heart rate and gait symmetry also didn't differ between treatments. So in a nutshell, they concluded that increasing the weight of the regular rider by 15 and 25 percent did not result in significant short term alterations. This is something that needs to be studied a lot further. And Nancy and I are going to delve into um, the different aspects of this that we need to look into. But I think this is just such a great starting point for creating appropriate guidelines for what is a welfare-friendly rider weight. Yeah, and I think, too, this has kind of been a hot topic um, amongst people kind of being somewhat judgmental about over the overweight situation. And I mean, it's just not any equestrians. It's, it's worldwide. There's been a increase in human weight. And I think what was interesting is they even had a study here in their introduction that was done in 2018. And it was called determining the worldwide prevalence of obesity. And that worldwide prevalence ended up being much higher than what a previous study had come up with. So definitely something that people are concerned about with horse welfare. Um, I will say that if you have a 150 pound rider, um, that would be 68 kilograms. So if you increase that 15%, that is adding 22.5 pounds or 10.2 kilograms. And then if you were to go to the, um, what was it, 25% rate, that would add 
37.5 pounds. So you're talking 187.5 in pounds and you would be adding 17 more kilograms. So that would be 85 kilograms. So that is the weight variations that they're talking about. And I thought it would be good for the um, overseas listeners to know the kilograms. And then in the U.S., we go by pounds. So people can see they're going from 150 pounds up to almost 190. And you also have to factor in as well then the weight of the tack, which yeah. they pointed out in this. Um, so your tack I'm not going to be as impressive as you, Nancy, because I've only got oh. kilos in my head. But I think they said it can be between 10 to 15 kilos. So were you saying that's about 30 pounds? Let me see here. Um, the ladies, the average with the tack was 148 pounds or 73 kilograms. That Those were the averages with saddle and rider and then in in men they estimated men to be a little bit heavier and they went to another study the one that used the Icelandic horses and they determined that the men were 82 kilograms or 181 pounds to 88 kilograms which I thought was kind of high 194 pounds so those yeah. are the averages that the Scandinavian uh, researchers found to be on average. And obviously the averages will differ by country when it comes to the riser weight. But what was a really interesting um, point that they made in this paper is there are multiple studies that look at riser weight and it does have an impact. There are cases where it definitely does have an impact but it's all taken into perspective. So in the studies with the Icelandic horses, um, the riser horse body weight ratio was higher. So there was higher riser weight compared to the horse body weight. So in that Icelandic study, um, it's a very popular study and it does show there are, I guess you could say adverse effects, but also those horses were ridden at higher intensities. Yeah. So it's really about getting the balance because they point out in this, the fitness of the horse comes into play too, the intensity of the exercise, the weight of the rider. Um, and what I thought was really interesting is there's very few studies done on warm blood horses. And when you think about our thoroughbred race horses, they're carrying a lot less weight. Mm -hmm. So it's another great research paper that gets you thinking one size doesn't fit all. And, you know, it can be easy to see a paper that's carried out in Iceland and read the introduction and the discussion and the conclusion and see that rider weight, you know, is adverse of, to horses. But without really honing in on that method section and taking into account what um, breed the horses are and what weight the riders were and what the work is being done, it's not applicable to all horses across the board. So, I actually thought that was really reassuring to me because this is a topic that I worry about. Um, I worry about the welfare implications when it does come to horse riding. And, you know, I would love to see us get to a point where we can do it as welfare friendly as possible. And I think studies like this where we can hone in a little bit further and find what are the safe margins? You know, at what point 
or the horse is not experiencing any additional, you know, stress or pressure points. Um, and how can we use that? And then once we've got that guideline, how can we apply that in pony clubs and trekking centers and, you know, make um, tourist riding more welfare friendly? Because we know if you're not a rider, you know, over a number of years, if you're new to rising and you get up on a horse's back, you are going to be a little bit more of a dead weight. But um, this paper again pointed out that there was one study done and they used, I have it highlighted here somewhere, but I think it was a 90 kilo riser and a 90 kilo lead weight on a horse that was on a treadmill. And they found there was no difference between the lead weight that was placed and the riser that was placed. So whether it was someone controlling their core or a dead weight per se, um, there was no difference. But what I also thought about that then when I read this was the dead weight may have been well balanced. So that's another kind of curveball that comes into rising where inexperienced riders could be leaning to one side and that's going to cause issues. Um, or just not balancing themselves correctly. Yeah, and I thought, too, they really made some good points when they said the horse welfare concerns could be likely due to many other factors, not just rider weight. It could be horse fitness, horse muscle development, confirmation, the discipline people are riding in, which um, we mentioned in the exercise intensity. However, whether the horse does um, show jumping or dressage versus cross-country eventing, all those. And I always think of that hoof-ground interaction where the hoof meets the ground. That, that makes a big difference on the repercussion of that all the way up the leg. Um, you know, the fetlock, the extension it has to go under and the knee and then all the way up that way. So it, exercise intensity definitely would play a part. And then also your rider fitness skill and balance and then your saddle. And how often has have we talked about saddle fit being so important? I think it's very important that you have someone assess the fit of your saddle before you even address anything else. What do you think, Kate? Because it, it's so, there's such a variation in what people think is makes good saddle fit. Yeah, and we've done a podcast on this before, you know, the pressure points that can be caused, getting the right padding underneath the saddle, you know, not putting excessive padding. It's so, it really is such a fine art to getting your tack well fitted. And if it's not something you're familiar with, then you need to get someone that's experienced in doing it and yeah. get a saddle fitter to come. And that needs to happen twice a year. And if you haven't minimal, so if you haven't listened to our podcast on saddle fit, definitely go back and have a listen to that because we talk about how, you know, the horse's body changes and um, depending on the season, particularly ponies. I mean, we all we all see them, you know, getting that bit heavier. Um, which we should, you know, use winter to safely take their weight down. Um, but we do see changes, you know, especially in the kind of more barrelly shaped horses. So if your saddle's fitting really well, 
you know, through the autumn and winter, it's not necessarily going to be fitting well coming out of spring. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's such a basic. Having good fit and intact, that's the very baseline when it comes to our rising welfare. And it's something we have to keep checking. And I think if you just get a few of the basics down um, and, and take a course, take the Master Saddle Fitter course, if, um, they offer some virtual ones where you learn what to look for, uh, preferably if you can do it in person, though, because a lot of that assessment is on feel. You know, you have to get your hand into the gullet and along the flaps and you kind of learn what you're looking for. The other thing I wanted to mention is that these were 20 female riders. They rode their own horses and it was a random crossover study. So they either uh, for a, they either had zero weight added to their weight and tack or they had the 15% or 25% and it was done in random order. And then This study, um, the hypothesis was that added weight would lead to increased salivary cortisol, increased heart rate, and then also uh, involve more conflict behaviors and an increase in gait symmetry. So um, they did use Equinosis, which I'm very familiar with. Their headquarters is here in St. Louis, Missouri. And it is the neatest apparatus and artificial intelligence that can find even the most minimal of lameness. So uh, if you have a lameness that's just puzzling you or your vet, get with a group that has the equinosis because it has helped so many racehorses be treated and uh, figure out where the lameness really was because sometimes it can be a bilateral lameness where uh, you do need more of a computer analysis to help you out to locate it and the gait symmetry is an important one because they didn't find any changes in gait symmetry in this study but they did point out that you can get long-term effects on gait asymmetry so this is where they're not walking and in a rhythmic pattern, I guess is probably another way to term it, but this can happen. So if you long-term uneven loading of the limbs, then you're gonna end up with um, orthopedic problems, subclinical problems and health issues for that horse. So uneven loading of the limbs could very well be where you have tacked up and put on your girth really good and tight so that you're not getting any movement of the saddle, but you're driving more weight down into your right or your left leg. And this is all unbeknownst to you. So there's more pressure being put on one side of the horse the entire time you're riding them. And you're going to end up seeing reaction to the girthing up process from the horse then because the whole girth area will become painful from that over tightening that's needed to stop the saddle slipping. Um, you know, and there's a lot to be said, actually, for going back to basics and doing some bareback riding and learning to balance yourself um, or riding without stirrups is really great because you've got a little bit more security. You can hold on to, you know, the pommel of the saddle if you need to seat yourself a bit better. 
but take it back to basics and just double check because over time you know we our bodies change and if you've been riding for 10 15 or 20 years you know a couple times a month you should probably just take it back to basics again and make sure you're training your body to continue holding itself correctly because i think that's another element that we can easily kind of miss out on when it comes to the effect we really have when we're riding horses um and it's i know sometimes it feels like the baby stuff and it's not as exciting um but it's the groundwork that's going to make a difference yeah. and kind of leading into that as well as this study it's really important to know was at a low intensity so it was at dressage and when we say, obviously, dressage can be high intensity, I'm not offending anyone that's doing dressage, but in this case, it was low intensity. So they're saying that 15 to 25% had no effect. If you are, you know, 25% of your horse's body weight right now, and you're doing venting or show jumping or cross country, reevaluate just a little bit. You can't just take, you know, okay, 15 to 25% is safe. This study says so. This study says so at a low intensity. It's not applicable across to other, um, I suppose, sports within equestrianism. Yeah. And also um, they had the 20 horses. There were 17 horses and three ponies. And out of those, six were mares, 12 geldings and two stallions. The pony's average height was 14.1 in this study. And then the uh, pony weight was, um, the rider weight was 63.4 kilogram, which is about 140 pounds. So um, that was, you know, for a pony, that's probably as, as high as I would go with that you know i mean my pony's 13 one and so um you know there's a range within your ponies so i will say there was a japanese study that did say the ponies were more negatively affected by the higher weight so just kind of i would be more cautious if you get a pony to make sure your weight doesn't exceed a certain amount um, on the ponies. And then the horses were um, 16.5 hands high on average. And the rider weight on the horses was 188 pounds or 85.5 kilograms. So um, it was it was a pretty well done study, I thought. Day one, the vet did a clinical examination for lameness and to kind of get baseline, um, whether it was the lunging test, the gait, or the symmetry test, they made sure they had baseline amounts. And then they also weighed the horses and riders. They double-checked the confirmation, the rider mobility and balance test, which I thought was a great idea to do that. And then the second day, they did the dressage and gait symmetry test one. And that could have been zero weight added or the 15 or 25. And then the following weekend, 
Uh, these four days were over two weekends and the, um, they did test two the same way and then test three. So I thought it was pretty well thought of and thought out. Yeah, I think they covered a lot of points and really just highlighted, you know, where those limitations are. So this paper is really promising for when it comes to research in this area. And also the authors have just clearly said, you know, we need to look into this, this and this as well. So um, the authors may already be working on that and looking into that. It'd be absolutely great if they were, because from reading this, it was a great study design. Um, but if not, they've set out, you know, a, a plan or a pathway, I suppose, for how we can kind of progress and how areas other researchers can look into, which is really great. And um, their final sentence on this, just to reiterate again, is, you know, these further studies on the effect of rider weight in various equine disciplines, as well as long term effects are required before appropriate guidelines for rider weight can be developed. So we're not at a point right now where we can say, you know, this weight is the cutoff and we need to do a lot more studies to see where we get that long term effect from a horse riding and um, a horse carrying that weight, you know, several times a week for years. Yeah. So it is it is definitely something that we're going to look further into. But I think it's just great to see how far we've come, you know, that these are areas that we're honing into now and we're trying to improve what we can because it really, I think it's just becoming a little bit more of a partnership whereas traditionally horses really were there to get us from A to B and to do a working job. And then obviously sports were such a huge part that came in over time, but now it's really moving towards a partnership where the welfare of the animal is being held at equal esteem to um I suppose the hobby that we're achieving out of it as well yeah that's a great point uh, I think to end on Kate that's excellent and I want to thank you for picking out this paper it's a, a free resource so I'll put the link um on the homepage so everyone can read it. And then uh, it's so good to have you back and it's great to have a conversation with you again. <laughs> yeah, it's so good to be back. I missed it. I feel like it was the longest time to be away from the podcast. Like, you know, in the past, me and Nancy have max recorded two episodes. So in over two years, we've maybe not spoken to each other for two weeks. And um, so I definitely felt like I was having withdrawals, Nancy. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. So I missed you. And it was, a, uh, um, you know, um, Brittany, thanks to her for filling in and all that. But it sure is great to have you back. Yeah. And, uh, Brittany did an amazing job for anyone who hasn't listened. Um, I think that's two episodes back now or three, maybe. But listen to Brittany Davis's episodes. It's absolutely yep. brilliant. And last week's episode with Ida was absolutely brilliant as well. Yep, that was good. And, and I think this episode today kind of answers that welfare question if, if we should be riding horses. And the pet peeve I have about that is, you know, being able to ride horses is not only 
a tradition, but it's also improves the economic value of the horse. And I just can't imagine uh, bringing that value down to almost nothing, what that would eventually do to their welfare. So, um, you know, it's like- see when horses aren't risable, the increase of horse wastage goes up. Yeah. I would say we have had a couple of requests for us to look into this area. So there were a few listeners um, that were interested in seeing how rider weight did affect horses. Mm-hmm. And definitely there's people that are coming from, you know, the same, that welfare point of view. And it it, it does become a debate, you know, I suppose an ethical debate too at some point. But I think... It's great to ask those questions. We need people there saying, you know, is this okay? Is this welfare friendly? And kind of push that agenda forward. Um, But I think it's important to to stay on top of the research. So this paper is January 2020. um, And it's saying that there is a safe way to do it. And that's not to say horses are being ridden in a welfare friendly way at all. Um, and across, you know, different countries and cultures, we see that too. But it's definitely a great stepping stone into seeing what guidelines we can create to make it more welfare friendly. Well said, Kate. I think that's a good note to end on. And um, we'll see everybody next week. Brilliant. Thanks, Nancy. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye.